Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. It's probably a safe guess if you're like just about everybody else on the planet that you're not completely 100% happy with your body. Even the model Cindy Crawford once noted that when she gets up in the morning, she does not look like Cindy Crawford. But the truth is, your problems aren't just cosmetic. They go way deeper than that. You've got retinal cells that are on backwards. You've got part of a tailbone for a tail you don't have. You probably need some sort of technology, either glasses or contacts, just to read a book. You get more colds than you really should, and the list goes on. Now, do not panic here, but the honest truth is you're a mess. Nathan Lentz writes about why exactly we are such messes in his book, Human Errors, a panorama of our glitches from pointless bones to broken genes. He's also a professor of biology at John Jay College at the City University of New York. Nathan, thanks for your time. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here. So what first got you thinking about all the things that evolution got wrong when it comes to the human body? Well, it's funny. Actually, two things got me thinking about it. Number one is this idea that a lot of biologists have and um, uh, non-biologists and biologists that the body should be perfect, that Mm. evolution produces perfection. Uh, And I sort of call that the new creationism uh, because really that's not how evolution works at all. Evolution sort of does the best it can so that you can survive long enough to reproduce, and it really doesn't care about getting things perfect. Right, right. So that that was one part of it. But the actual flaws that fascinate me the most are the flaws in our genes, but also the flaws in our anatomy, Hmm. um, because it's so not optimal. It's just not what an engineer would design if they were designing from scratch. But of course, we know that natural selection and evolution does not work like an engineer. They don't take a situation and try to build something perfect. You have what you have. Tiny little tweaks and tugs is the best that evolution can do. Right, right. And you talk about like people, you know, go into museums and they look at like the human form, like, you know, the David by Michelangelo. And they say, wow, the human body is so beautiful and so amazing. And like you say, in some ways, so perfect. And you say like, not at all. Like we have no idea. There are things wrong all over the place. That's right. I mean, it is beautiful, the human body, and what it can do is amazing. But we have flaws both big and small. I mean, let's talk about just big, obvious things. We have one opening through our neck that we convey both food and air through. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Um, And choking, of course, is a huge hazard, especially among children. And humans have an especially badly designed throat. Um, We we brought our larynx up very high so that we could make... Um, you know, lots of interesting noises, and then it dropped down a little bit so that we could make vowel sounds. All along, it made choking more likely. So Mm. we choke a lot more than other animals because our throat's just not very well designed. And and thousands of people in the U.S. die every year from choking. And this is not like a little thing, a person or two. This is thousands of people every year because, as you say, food and air are trying to fit through the same tiny hole, and sometimes that does not work. The same tiny hole. And there are other designs that are even out there in nature. I mean, dolphins don't have this problem, right? Because they move their nostrils all the way to their back. Um, You know, they have a blowhole. And even birds, uh, they have nostrils that go directly to the lungs and don't pass through the throat. So they can have a huge meal in their mouth like a snake. Snakes and birds both do this. Um, And they can breathe just fine even Mm -hmm. when their throat is full of food. Mm -hmm. So what we have is not even the best among our fellow vertebrates. Mm -hmm. We, We really don't have a very good... Uh, throat when it 
it comes to that. It does well most of the time if you don't choke to death, you know, bully for you. But the point <laughs> is that we could design it better if we could design from scratch. But evolution just doesn't design things from scratch. You, you talked about how in some ways what evolution cares about, it, it's very sort of tunnel vision, right? You just need to reproduce and then the sort of the goal has been accomplished and whatever happens after that doesn't really matter. I, I want to ask you about that because I, I used to have a biology teacher in high school and I remember him saying he had very poor eyesight. And I remember him saying that, you know, long ago, like if he was on the African savanna, like his ancestors had been, he would have gotten eaten by a lion or something because he wouldn't have seen it coming. Um, but, you know, now that he was living in the modern world, he had glasses, he was fine, he could live his normal life, you know, just like anybody who had perfect eyesight. But so many people have bad eyesight. How is it possible that all the people with bad eyesight didn't get eaten on the African savanna and leaving us with like everybody who has perfect eyesight? Well, that's a really interesting example because, as you said, about 40% of the people in the United States and Europe require corrective lenses. Mm -hmm. It's about 75% of the population of Asia. So you're talking about most of the human population don't have very good eyes. And what that tells us, because if you look at other animals, uh, especially like birds and other things that hunt with their vision, mm -hmm. they don't have these poorly designed eyes. What mm -hmm. it tells us that we can tolerate this is that we have used other skills to survive. And so if you imagine life on the African savanna, if every single person was a hunter, then I bet you we would have had much better vision than we have. Mm -hmm. But what you have over the last million years or so is pretty extensive division of labor. And so there were many ways that mm -hmm. you could provide value, many ways that you could contribute that didn't require excellent vision or at least excellent far away vision. If you could see up close just fine, there's lots that you could do. So I think the story of the human body and why we are particularly flawed among other primates, is that we evolved these big brains, which allowed things like division of labor and other sort of technological innovations that really reduced the pressure on our bodies to perform optimally, because we could escape that lion by having a social network that warns us about lions. Um, so uh, the big brain right, obviously right. gave us enormous advantages, but it also removed pressure on our bodies to be perfect. We really didn't have to be so good anymore. Um, as you said, as long as you could sort of scrape by to reproduce age. It didn't matter if you were healthy. didn't matter if you were obese or not. A lot of things just didn't matter as mm -hmm. long as you made it long enough to reproduce. And then, of course, what humans have is continued selection later in life uh, by contributing to the group and your children and even their children. So we have this very highly social structure. We rely on one another so that each one of us really doesn't have to be perfect. Hmm. Another thing that uh, I had never thought about, but now that I think about it, it makes sense, is that we get sick more than most other animals. And I wonder how that evolved. It does not seem helpful. I mean, you know, the times when I've had a cold or a flu, I was not helpful to anybody with anything. So it seems like uh, a really unhelpful evolution to be able to get the cold or like get the flu. Why do we have that? And why do like dogs not get the flu very much, for example? Right. Well, there's two things that are going on in particular since you mentioned uh, upper respiratory infections. Yeah. The first one is a really poor design in our nasal cavity. So the, the largest nasal sinuses, which are right in your cheekbones, the drainage pipe for those cavities is at the top of the chamber rather than at the bottom like you would expect. Mm. What plumber is going to put a drain at the top of a chamber and not the bottom? So what that means is when you're when you're healthy, you know, there's no really particulates. And no, everything's fine. Your cilia can sort of move the mucus up to the top and it drains. But if you have any little congestion, any bacteria, virus, even just dusts and stuff can get in there. 
then you're working against gravity and, and you lose. Not only that, the drainage pipe happens to be very small too, which is another poor design. So what happens, uh, dogs don't have that problem. They have these huge snouts and they have really good flow of the mucus in their nasal cavities. Even our other apes have much better designed nasal cavities than we have. We have a nasal cavity that is almost designed to clog up easily. Mm-hmm. And that's why most of us get four or five colds every single year. Right. Why didn't natural selection fix this? Well, you right. rarely die of it. Right, right, right. right. So that's one reason. Another reason is that we used to live in much smaller communities. And so I don't think early humans got nasal infections near as often as we do. Mm. We live in these in the sort of the global village. So we're passing around these pathogens right, in right. much larger numbers. So uh, civilization, of course, made all this worse. But if we had better designed nasal sinuses, even in the global village, we would not have the uh, upper respiratory infections that we have, at least not as often. Do you think that our success, because I think, you know, I I think many people would think that like humans are a very successful species. There's a lot of us. Uh, We live in a lot of different climates and we're doing okay in very hot and very cold climates. Um, Do you think that our success, like in spite of these mistakes or is somehow our mistakes almost tied in with our success? Like what's the relationship? I think there is a strong relationship between our flaws and our need to have innovation. So we basically solved problems of our body using our brain. So so we can live in the Arctic Circle because we're smart enough to figure out how to invent clothing and Uh use proper clothing. And uh, we can also live in sub-Saharan Africa uh, and and the rainforest and the challenges there. We live in deserts. We live in so many different climates, not because our bodies are so robust. They're pretty robust. But what's really robust about us is we figure things out. We have this big brain that allows us to solve the problems. But as I said, that, that sort of reduces the pressure on the on the physical form uh, to be perfect. When you have this brain that can sort of figure out how to do it, then your body doesn't need to. Right. I might also yeah. point out um, our big brains, which have made us very successful up till now, um, really are, might be our biggest flaw of all. Because if you consider all of the biggest threats to our existence right now, every single one of them is of our own making. Hmm. We're not being competed out by some competitor. A new predator hasn't come in. An asteroid isn't on its way that we know of. Every single problem we have is of our own making because our brains, big as they are, cannot really think or plan more than a generation at a time. So we're very bad at long-term planning. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Nathan Lentz. He's a biology professor at John Jay College, part of the City University of New York. He's also author of the book Human Errors, A Panorama of Our Glitches from Pointless Bones to Broken Genes. Are there uh, diseases, I believe the top two killers in the U.S. are heart disease and cancer. Um, Are there diseases that you think are tied in with some of these, like, just kind of evolutionary mistakes in our body? Or do heart disease and cancer have other causes? No, I think actually most of our diseases are um, at least made worse by poor design. And and heart disease is a good example, actually. Heart disease is is in some ways uh, an artifact of our immune system. So we have pretty good immune systems, but uh, most people don't realize this, but but congestive uh, heart disease is actually an immune response. It's an inflammatory response Mm. in the blood vessels, in the blood vessel, the great uh, coronary vessels. And so um, if we could just get a hold of our immune system, which, by the way, kills us in all kinds of other ways, too, mm-hmm. when it comes to allergies or right. autoimmune diseases right. like lupus right. and so right. on. This is our own body going wrong. Now, heart disease, there's some stuff we can do about that. And, of course, we're making everything worse with our with our diets and the way that we're living. Uh, but ultimately, it, it really is a, an immune system uh, action that, that's causing that. Um, cancer is another beast altogether. Cancer is something... 
uh, I call it the beast that stalks us all. Because ever since life evolved from one cell into multi-cells, this was going to be a problem. Hmm. Um, because normally when a cell divides, if it's a bacterial cell, one cell becomes two, and they're each independent life forms that go their own way. Well, we have, we have lots of cells in our body, and they all can divide. Most of them can divide. Something goes wrong, and they divide uncontrollably. That leads to cancer. And it is inevitable. Cancer really will strike all of us if you live long enough because mm-hmm. every time a cell divides, it's a chance for a mutation. Right. And those mutations are random. The bad ones will eventually get you. It's a roll right. of the dice every right, time. Right, right, right. And you have a ton of cells, and it's bound to happen, like you said, eventually. Exactly. It will. Bob Weinberg, I first heard him say it this way, you will get cancer. Maybe you'll die of something else first, mm. but if you live long enough, you will get cancer. And in fact, most people are living long enough to get cancer multiple times. Um, so, I mean, we, I think we'll delay it. We'll get better. But it, it is the beast that stalks us all. I want to ask you about a big uh, question that uh, really perplexed me, which is, um, as we've talked about, The goal of evolution is to get us to reproduce, sort of period, the end. But something like 10% plus or minus of couples have trouble reproducing. That seems completely – it it seems like if there was one thing that evolution could do right – it would be that, right, and everything else could just fall to pieces after that. why why is that? I mean, 10% is a lot of people. It's a whole lot of people. Right? Why is that an issue? It, you know, and that's exactly how I frame it in the book. It's like there's nothing that could be more under the scrutiny of natural selection right. than reproduction, and, right. and we still struggle with it. I mean, the different kinds of infertility all have different uh, reasons behind them. The thing that makes humans the most unique in this is our really high rate of infant mortality and maternal mortality. Hmm. Um, and this is something that modern medicine has largely solved. But if you go back even just 100 years ago, uh, lots of women died in childbirth. Lots of infants died either during childbirth or quickly thereafter. And that's just not in keeping with any other animals. If you've ever seen a, a gorilla give birth, it's like she doesn't notice. She continues eating and caring for other. It's not a painful, horrific, dramatic process. I mean, cow will just sort of walk away. And, yeah, yeah. It's it's like nothing, nothing to report. Nothing interesting here. Um, it's just. But but what we've done is we evolved these huge brains at the cost of childbirth, and so that that that's a great example of mm. how we sort of lost sight of the physical form in order to evolve these big brains because these big brains can, are so useful in so many different ways that we sort of. We sort of tolerated the, mm-hmm. um, in terms of evolutionary numbers, mm-hmm. uh, all of the mortality that came with it. But that's just sort of the last step of fertility. Right. Um, early on, just a, a sperm and an egg coming together, a third of those times don't get it right. And these are the, the, the sort of the infertility that you would never see. It doesn't end up in a pregnancy. Hmm. So we lose a lot of our potential humans just even before development even really starts. Hmm. A lot of embryos get started, do their thing, and then just bounce right off the uterine wall and don't don't take hold. And a lot of it, we have no idea why not. I was going to ask you, do we know, are there other species that have infertility problems that we know about? Not like us. Okay. Not in our kinds of numbers. Let me just give you an example. In laboratory experiments with mice, a lot of times they want to make what's called a pseudo-pregnant female. So do you know, do you know how you trick a mouse into thinking it's pregnant? Is you just simply have it 
let it have sex with a vasectomized male, and she will automatically start behaving pregnant. That's mm. how efficient pregnancy is in mice. Is her body just assumes she's pregnant now. Right, she had right. sex, so she must be pregnant. I mean, that's mm. always going to follow. Right. Uh, and, of course, we know that that's not true in humans. I mean, if we got uh, pregnant every time we had sex, we would have covered the entire planet in, in humans by now. Right. We're just very much out of step with our fellow, even just our fellow mammals. Um, I, I think the better example for us is actually like oak trees. You know, every every year there's <laughs> thousands of acorns. To oak trees. Yeah, <laughs> thousands of acorns, and maybe one or two will actually grow up into an oak tree. That's that's sort of how we are. Hmm. You know, we talked about a lot of mistakes. What was do you think like the driving force in most of these mistakes? Was this just like random? You know, a toss of the dice. The body kind of got it wrong. I think each and every flaw has a different story behind it. And that's really why I wrote the book, actually, because each one of the backstories is very interesting. It tells us a little bit about our past. Um, I, I, they're like scars uh, from a battle won. You know, and, and, and that's the upside is we did win the battle. right? We're still here. So we have these flaws. We have these limitations. Uh, most of them really reveal something about how we have succeeded, not just how we fail, but how we've succeeded. Mm-hmm. Nathan Lentz is the author of Human Errors, a panorama of our glitches, from pointless bones to broken genes. He's also a professor of biology at John Jay College at the City University of New York. Nathan, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So there are a few body parts I've always been a little confused about. The tonsils, wisdom teeth, and the appendix. Do you really need those things? Or are they just evolutionary mistakes? Nathan Lentz gives his quick take on it at our website, innovationhub.org. <laughs>